really, really small stuff that makes a big difference. So how do you make sure that's happening, both in helping you do a great job, but also manage your life? Why these skills are even more important now, as your organization resets those parameters within which you can work and you have a role to play in determining what that looks like, that's even more of an opportunity for you than to be intentional about how you're fitting your work and life together within those parameters. But you have to do it. An organization can't do it for you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Callie Williams-Yost, a visionary workplace futurist, strategist, and author who shares her perspective and experience working with organizations and individuals to rethink and reimagine the way work is done. We're living in a time when we have an opportunity to not only change the way we think about work, but also implement those changes in a way that positively impacts our work. Called one of the most sophisticated thinkers on the transformation of work by the New York Times, her commentary is frequently featured in the Wall Street Journal and NBC Nightly News. And now, my conversation with Callie Williams-Yost. Well, Callie, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast. It was just a pleasure to be able to meet with you a few weeks back and just learn more about your work. So I'm excited for people to hear about it as well. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, well, here this is a this is big. What I've been I was telling a few people that I was going to have you on the show, and and I just said when I would say workplace futurist, people are like, oh my god, I got to call into that. And and what's interesting is you've been doing this for some time. I will say this: since COVID hit, we've all been talking about how this workplace and what's the new normal and all these things. But after having a conversation with you, you really opened my eyes that you've been working on this for some time. Yes, I have almost over two decades. I've been executing flexible workplace strategies. So this isn't really new. This was already starting. The, the traditional work model was already disappearing before COVID. And what COVID did is it accelerated that trend, albeit in an incredibly disruptive and chaotic way. Um, and so now this is where we are. Um, work has permanently changed. And now we have to intentionally reimagine what that's going to look like on the other side. Right. Well, and one of the things you're just now talking about here is the reimagining it. I, you know, I was internal in a workplace that was, you know, trying to navigate this not too long ago and am working with clients that are still trying to navigate this. So even when they're saying reimagine, I still get the sense that everyone just feels like they don't really know where to go to think about this. So when you say reimagine, what does that mean for you? And how are you helping people do some of that work? So when I say reimagine, it's honestly, it's about stepping back and asking one foundational question, which really just underlines our entire work, which is, okay, what do we need to do? And then how, when, and where do we do that best? And when you start with the what, that's where we're getting lost today is there's a lot of starting with the where um, where are we working? And we wonder why we can't figure it out because we are all coming in at different times and it's not coordinated and people feel like I'm wasting my time when I'm here. So if we start with the work and that is more than the tasks of the job, because 
you know, again, you have people arguing, well, I've been doing my job really well remotely for three years. Why am I coming in? Well, you know what? There are some in really important long-term business priorities like developing talent, like keeping our culture strong, like making sure the quality of our work is as, as high as it can possibly be that could benefit from some in-person interaction. That doesn't mean every day, but there, sh there could be more in-person interaction that support those broader objectives. So what does that look like? And how do we not only just where, but how, when, and where do we make sure that we are executing those priorities most effectively? And then experimenting as a team sitting down and saying, you know, because I think a lot of organizations want this sort of one size fits all <laughs> mandate. There are too many different variables across an organization to really account for that. So really it's a consistency in the process of thinking through what those parameters are within a team that is going to be, again, consistent across the organization, even though what the outcome may be is, is different and making sure that there's a period of experimentation determining does that framework that you'd work within achieve those objectives? If it doesn't, how do we make it better? And ultimately we will land on what is going to be a work centric approach to work because before COVID it was very much organized around a workplace. Now it will be organized around the work. Actually, that's a huge distinction. I mean, that just even hit me around that because it has been so much talk. I mean, I think of organizations that have had a number of conversations about the, where are we working? I even had a guest, a, you know, I think it was last month that we, Tammy Foreman was talking about, you know, the ways in which some organizations were taking it to the extreme and monitoring people, although you really couldn't monitor whether or not they were performing by those tools. But where do you take an organization that's already played around with this and quite frankly, probably hasn't done it very well. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to just give each other a lot of grace right now. I, mean, I, I think we forget we have gone through a historic <laughs> pandemic, a historic overnight radical disruption of the way we worked. And to think that we're going to come out the other side of that, either just to go back to way the way we were before, or that we won't have to rethink things is just, it, it's not... That isn't going to happen, but we have to understand that we're all doing our best in this kind of liminal space we're in. Um, so I think where you, if you've tried the whole hybrid thing, like, hey, let's define days and let's, you know, pick a number of days and this is a mandate and, all, and it hasn't really worked, you know, just say, great, we tried that. All right. What did we learn? We learned that doesn't work. Okay, so now let's try it another way. Instead of leading with where we're working, let's step back and look at what we need to do. And then think about how, when, and where we do that best. Everybody's got to be involved in that process. We all, all have to be, you know, again, coming at this from a shared wanting to succeed place and, you know, step away from our respective assumptions about what has to happen. And, and again, create a new model and begin to experiment with that. Um, we may have to hit this a few times and just know, again, everybody's coming at this in good faith and how do we make it work? Yeah, I, I think we do have to hit it a few times. You're, you're exactly right because what I found, um, not only personally questioning 
what I had always envisioned work to look like. But then having experienced work in a very different way, and and even pre-COVID, the workplaces when I was an employee, I was still in some ways working for companies that still very much honored a work from home, if there's certain days a week that you need to do that. So I, I feel really, in some ways, after speaking with other colleagues or family that didn't necessarily have that offered to them, I feel very privileged in some cases yeah. that I got to learn that early on. But what's so interesting to me is that I'll, I still will run across friends or colleagues that even though they've been in that experience, they understand that maybe the where doesn't matter as much. There's still like this stereotype of what work looks like. And so where do we go with that? I mean, you you may end up answering the million dollar question if you can talk about how to break up a stereotype in general, but I do think that's a really big one. Well, I think first you have to know you have it, which I honestly... You read these headlines about the power dynamic between <laughs> leaders and employees, and I'm like, I don't think there's a power dynamic. I, you got to be pretty solid in what you believe to be able to hold a position. So I just think we just this is the context. Like your point, like this is how I think of work. And if there's a performance issue, we're going to work in a workplace to solve that issue. And you know, I think over here, and that's where a lot of leaders are, right? I, I do think they understand to a degree there's going to be some flexibility, but in their mind, they're still organizing it around the traditional workplace. Like, here's the traditional workplace. We'll slap a little remote work around the outside, but for the most part, that is what we're operating from. That's not reality, right? That COVID destroyed that, all right? But that's their mind. That's their model. Then you have employees over here who are being told, okay, so we have these performance things we have to think about, like culture and development. and all. So we're coming back. Why? Because their context, they push back because their context is, I've worked, I've, I've worked in a completely different way for three years. Fine. I'm fine. But maybe they really aren't because that was not a thoughtfully, deliberately executed form of flexibility they were working in for the last three years. It was crisis driven. Mm-hmm. It was they may be doing the tasks of their job, but it's maybe not optimal. And so you have to, as an individual, know maybe what I'm doing is not optimal for the collective. So now how does everybody recognizing they're coming from these two very different contexts, step back, recognize there needs to be a coming together and a willingness to say, all right, what do we take? How do we take the best of what we've learned over the last three years? Because there was a lot of things that worked. But how do we take the best of what we got what got lost? Things got lost in the sauce. It did. Okay. Like you have a junior people in your organization. They benefit from sitting with you in a room and watching you do your thing. If you're more, you know, seasoned and more experienced. How do you do how do you recapture that? And be creative and thinking about what that's going to look like on the other side and then experiment within that structure. That's where we need to go. Right, well, I'll tell you what, your experiment is such a such an important word and such an important practice in the work that I do and those who help me do some of the work that I do is that in order for you to change, in order for you to transition, in order for you to grow, one of the biggest things you could do is practice, do the exercises, 
try something out, experiment with it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such a big piece of all of that. You, there's something you said that was really interesting that I'd love to dig into more. Um, I agree with you. There's just sort of these different points of view. And if you don't recognize that potentially you've got blinders on and you're not necessarily yeah. taking in what everybody else might be perceiving in that situation, this real concept about employees really resisting coming back. Mm-hmm. If if the organization's saying, you know, even if the organization's saying, to your point, we're not saying you have to come back all the time. What we're saying is there's certain right. times when we work together that it's more beneficial for us to actually be physically present with one another. And, you know, I, I'm working with organizations right now around that culture piece. And I mean, that's a that's a big, that's a big statement when you say we need to work on culture. But I think when you bring it up around the avenue of, you know, we did this out of a reaction, we did it out of a, we didn't have a choice. But now, how do you walk organizations around thinking about where the work, not so much where the work, but what the work is to be performed? And how do you still keep culture in all of that? Well, you make that front and center. And and I think we have to define culture. And I I don't know, but I think that's a super squishy term for people. Yes. I really do. Yes. And so, how what is culture to you? Okay, I talk about it and try to articulate what that is. I hear a lot around connection and camaraderie. Okay, so when you're connecting, okay, what is that? How is how when and where is that connection happening? Because remember, it can't just happen in a workspace. This is the thing. Connection needs to be happening all the time. Okay, whether you are remote or whether you are in person, it's a, just a different type of connection, a connection with a different purpose, right? So you want to first define, okay, from a cultural standpoint, I have a client, their, their, their culture is we are committed, their purpose is we help people thrive every day, okay? And their culture is one of very collaborative camaraderie, people are very supportive of one another. So when they drill down on what that looks like and how they make that happen, they're thinking about it, yes, when we're in person, but then also when we are not together. Like, how can we use teams to make sure we're having experiences together even when we're not in person? And they also have colleagues they work with in other countries. And so how are you coordinating time zones so that you can be in person, meaning interacting in real time with your colleagues in other time zones, but then also how are you making that inter- interaction and that camaraderie happen in an asynchronous way? So it's really again breaking it down and then being really thoughtful about how to make all of that happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, connection. It Well, first of all, it, it threw me into just mem- remembering part of a conversation that I had with a client recently around what are those really critical pieces? What are those things that are most important? What are those things that you do hope that the reason why people come to work with them are for those reasons and that it is it is observable throughout the organization? But I right. think part of it is that they're struggling that if we're not always together or how do we do it when you know, maybe we're coming together and we're using new things or doing new things together, or maybe Mm -hmm. acquisitions when you think of new groups working together. And now it's like, well, but we had a culture and we had a culture and now how are we doing it? And now you have all this work place Mm -hmm. going into all of it. Um, 
when you talk with leaders about doing this work, what have been such some of the most eye-opening conversations for you in your work? And it could be maybe how they've reacted to it, or it could be even Uh how they've thought about it. All right. So three things come to mind right away. First thing that just blows me away is I naively thought, I like to laugh before COVID, I was lucky enough to find the sort of unicorn forward thinking visionary leaders that were like, hey, the world of work is changing. Let's do this on purpose. Mm -hmm. And they were all ready when COVID hit, right? But I had a lot of experiences over those years where I got the slow clap. You know, I like to call it like, <laughs> hey, super interesting, not going to do that. All right. So great. Now, on the other side of COVID, I thought for sure, okay, everybody's going to be on board. Nope. Okay. The, the number of leaders that I still talk to who I don't, I don't think they fully comprehend that it's a different day. Like, and you now have to do what you could have actually been doing before COVID and meeting the moment you didn't and COVID hit. And now you really have to meet this moment. Still don't get it. Right. And so that's surprising to me. The second thing is the ones that um, do get it and they still think it's an HR thing, which I'm like, HR is awesome. Okay. This is not an HR thing. This is a business thing. This is something you in the business have to deeply grapple with and experiment with and think through. And I appreciate that you've got all these business priorities to address, but what we're talking about is how, when, and where those priorities are going to be executed. Okay. Because right now you're not on the same page. So that makes executing your business priorities much, much harder. So don't you just kind of want to stop talking about this and do it and deal with it? and get everybody on the same page and move forward. But again, they think it's something HR is going to do and it's not. Okay. Mm -hmm. Third thing I'm surprised by and encouraged by is when I get them talking about what they really want, very, very few people, leaders say, I think everybody's coming back five days. They really don't say that. What What they say though is they genuinely believe that there is an advantage and something gained by being in person. And they are genuinely concerned if that is not happening, that things will be lost. And so when you let them talk about it, and then you tell them, lead with that, and then empower your people to figure out when, that's, when where, and how that's going to happen, that's exciting to them. That becomes something, oh, okay, we could do that. Yeah, you can and um, so again, it's, it runs the gamut from, yep, not changing anything, which is again, shocking mm-hmm. to let's do this and mm-hmm. let's, but let's lead with the what, like what we're trying to do and then let's innovate on that. Right. And that's, that is very cool. Well, I'll, I'll make a comment and then I have a follow-up question to what you just shared, which is anyone that is a former or an existing HR leader or employee at this point um, probably wants to record what you just said and replay it to everybody <laughs> that they talk to. I mean, having, having- Please do, because <laughs> I, I, the CHROs I run into are like, Help. I've done what I can do. Right. At this point, I am. Uh, it is out of my hands. Right. And so now I need to hand it to the business, right. and the business needs to take it. Yep. And so, yeah, 
Well, having sat in HR and worked in HR, you will see that. And and ironically, the reason why I think they're probably going to record this too and want to play it everywhere (laughs) is it's not just about the workplace and, and, and reimagining what that looks like. A lot of times HR gets pulled into things that, you know, just from a, I'll just say from like a, just being a critical thinking person around right. like, that shouldn't be someone else's job to manage that. I, I, I always would laugh whenever, um, well, I wouldn't laugh, but I would laugh to myself thinking if I was asked to do something on behalf instead of managers or leaders doing that, thinking to myself, I don't outsource that with my husband. I don't outsource right. that with my kids. These are right. relationships. These are people you need to talk to and communicate with. So I just think you you have fans there just by making that statement around the HR piece. When you talk about, though, that um, even though people aren't saying it as much. Leaders aren't saying it as much that they need to be back in the office. You're not, they still have this, they still have this belief that people need to be present with one one another in the same space in order to do good work. And what I would love to know, I I know you've written a couple books and we'll hopefully we can talk a little bit about those too, but what does the research say around all of this? I mean, where do we need to really be somewhere to do good work? Or what is what is it pointing to as to how people do their best work? So you know what's really interesting, Marnie? It's holding the tension, right? There's a there's a like a tension point we have to hold, which is very difficult to hold, which is nobody's talking about all remote and all together, right? When we talk about that flexibility. When I say that leaders think we need to be together to do the job, what I mean is they're saying certain aspects of it, whereas certain aspects they understand don't necessarily need to be in person. But I think it's really important to understand that there is going to be a small percentage of people that will be full-time remote. It's not going to be necessarily the entire workforce. They need to be integrated into anything that you're doing. And so what that means is there's going to have to be some aspect of in-person, if you think it's important, that incorporates the people who will be full-time remote. Mm -hmm. But those moments of in-person just have to be leveraged. That's the intentionality part. And it's helping leaders articulate what those moments really are and then letting them emphasize those moments. So helping them drill down because sometimes I find when leaders start to articulate what they mean, they're too high level. So it gets very sweeping and people don't understand that what they really mean is very specific aspects of talent development or very specific aspects of culture or very specific aspects of quality of work. Help them be specific mm-hmm. and that will help them make the case in a way that can be understood as I'm not saying you have to be here every day. I'm just saying these things are important and how, when, and where do we make that happen? I think sometimes um, it's we can get very sort of um, go to one side or the other versus to kind of say, what is that middle place and how does that get created? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting needle to thread. Right. Well, and it's definitely something people are continuing to navigate right now, which, which leads me to thinking about this, which is I have, 
um, a son who's going to be graduating high school this oh, year. And thank you. And um, I, I think about what does work look like for, you know, for him and for all these all yeah. these other young adults that are graduating right now. I mean, if you've been doing this before it was a conversation or a normal everyday conversation for many people have what's, what's on the horizon for the next generation that's coming into the workforce. So this is really interesting. I have two daughters. One is 25 and one is 22. So there are ones right out of college and one is getting ready to graduate into this new world. And it's interesting what I see. They are inherently flexible. They just believe there's an inherent flexibility to all of this and how they work. That being said, most of them want to be in person at least part of the time. And they value being able to sit with their team and they value being able to interact with those who they report to and who, who they can learn from and meeting their friends. And get, they, But there has to be a purpose to it. There has to be a rationale because as you know, if there's, I'm doing a spreadsheet, why am I sitting here? Like mm-hmm. I could be in my jammies on my couch doing that spreadsheet versus if we have a team meeting where we're planning a project, like I'm all in man. Right. Like, right. They are very open to that. The one thing I will say is they also see a, have a flexibility in how they see their careers. So it's an interesting, like sometimes I'll work for a company, but then maybe what I'll do is maybe I'll work as a on-demand consultant and take a project and live in another country. And, do, you know, they're very fluid in how they see their employment Um, alignment with an organization. So what it means for employers is that the more you can give them the three prongs of their value proposition, which is money, opportunity, because they are also very much into growing and learning and flexibility, you will win. Mm -hmm. You will 100% win. But it has to be intentional. It has to be there has to be a coordination and intentionality around how, when, and where that work is done. And Oh, by the way, they use technology. And if you manage them, you have to be willing to make the technology piece of that part of the puzzle as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually, first of all, that was fantastic. I mean, I've been writing probably more notes than I need to since we're recording this, but just some really great points because I think about, I think about my son graduating. I think about your daughters, where Mm -hmm. they're at right now. And there's times where even I'll get caught up in conversations where it's like, we just don't use the technology. We didn't use the technology like these kids use it. And we're so worried about them not being social enough or they're, you know, being too much into their electronics. In fact, um, we were just talking about earlier this week around all of that. And this gets me thinking around, but there's a purpose for it. I mean, I've, I've actually thought about the fact that my son has articulated it in that way when we've talked about something. It's like, well, if that's adding value for me, I'll do that. Or I remember when he was trying to help me with my Instagram account early on and he's like, people don't want to see that mom. Nope. They don't want to, nope. They want to see more of that, what you have right there. And he was actually just being, well, super honest, first of all, but he was also, Mm -hmm. he was also doing what you're describing. And I don't, I don't know that I really knew it at the time, but now I think I do after having listened to you, which is 
everything else was just fluff. It's like, use it for what it's supposed to be used for and share the stuff that is meaningful. But otherwise, the rest of it, you don't need to Mm -hmm. do that. And they think about work the same way. Right. And imagine that they are brought into the conversation. What do we need to do? And how, when, and where do we do it best? Imagine. Mm -hmm. Bring them in. Ask them. Say, we're doing these things. What what would you like to see? Talk about engagement. You have asked them what they think. They will be excited. Now, it will not maybe be exactly what you end up doing, but they will be invested in that model, like how they're the parameters that they're working within. They'll know it. They'll appreciate it. They'll feel they had a voice and they have smart things to say. So that's, it may, this is what I think some of the resistance is to all this, like, sit down, have a conversation, look at what you're doing, think about when you do it, how you do it, where you, it kind of feels like, oh, I just want to get work done. Like that, there's, there's so much that comes out of that, that it's really the, the return to you from investing in that kind of process is there's myriad things that come out of it, mm-hmm. which is, the parameters you're working with become clearer. People are engaged. They feel they're part of it. And you start to question why you're doing certain work, why you're not like you get more efficient and innovative. Like there's a lot of good that can come out of this if you're just willing to engage. Yeah. I love, I think it's just an, it's like probably a statement that just needs to be said overall, regardless of what topic we were talking about for any organization or leader or anyone that's trying to bring a group of people together focus on engagement, focus on people being part of the process. And a lot of this noise of conversation is reduced dramatically and you're able to see things more clearly. So, you know, it was, it was a great article in the New York times last week by Emma Goldberg about, he was like mandates, pickleball and beer. What's going to (laughs) make hybrid stick. Right. And you know, there was one paragraph I wrote about it in my newsletter it was just this one paragraph synopsized it all. It was something like, and leaders are wondering how they're going to make people comply with their rules. I'm like, okay, so <laughs> one quick way to be people not comply with your rules is to have them be your rules, okay? Right. And if you involve trusted adults in the process, you won't have to worry about compliance because they will have been, they will feel invested in it. They will know, like, what they're supposed to do. So again, like there's a lot to be gained by engaging in a different approach to all this. Oh, that's great. I, um, I, I appreciate you saying that because I do think that there's probably people listening that might find themselves saying, you know, I'm not necessarily the head of an organization. I'm not necessarily a leader in the organization. Um, I'm just having a tough time managing through this in my life. And I, Mm -hmm. you've written two books. I know, you know, this is talking about, well, how do I actually make work and life work together? And I think that's another thing that COVID did for us, which was in some cases it was, it was phenomenal for people. I, you know, there's, I have a lot of examples in my family where it was, it was actually one of those things where you're like, would we want the, a pandemic to happen? No, we would have wished it on anyone. Right. Absolutely not. But some of the things that we got out of it, which was prioritizing certain things and making certain things more important and what wasn't really that important. But there's a lot of people that have struggled and I still think are struggling to this day. So I would just love it if you would talk a little bit about, 
you know, why you have written about it and, and, Mm -hmm. and why, why, well, maybe it's not so much why I think everybody could probably get on board that (laughs) there's a why here, but it's a how, how do you do it? Yeah. So first, really quickly, where these books came from, people have wondered, like, why a flexibility strategist writing about work-life fit? Well, because years ago, but again, people were doing this for a while. <laughs> we would go in and execute flexibility into an organization, and people wouldn't know what to do with it. Like, at some point, the company's out. Like, they're like, okay, here you go. And then you've got to capture that, right? You've got to leverage that in a way that works for you. And your your job, right? Your work, personal, your work life fit, like work and life. How does it fit together? So I thought, of course, there had to be a resource out there that would give people the how-to to think through what do you need to do and how and where do you do it best? Couldn't find it. So I wrote my first book 15 years ago, Workless Life, Finding the Fit That's Right for You, to help people make what I call a formal reset. That would be if you need to formally reset the way your work and life fit together, usually for major life transitions. So a good example would be you have a baby, the way you were working, how, when, and where you were working just isn't going to be sustainable for you. So how do you think through putting together a plan that you then present to your boss and you're able to work it out? Okay. That's what the first book was. Then I realized going out, people didn't know even how to manage their day-to-day work-life fit. And the, the cool thing that was happening is there was more of that day-to-day flexibility, those, that ability to make those small shifts in how and where you were working. And so how do you give people the skills to capture that and then intentionally use it to make those small shifts? And that's why the book's called Tweak It, Make What Matters to You Happen Every Day. Because what I, I learned is people, it's just small stuff. It's just really, really small stuff that makes a big difference. So how do you make sure that's happening? both in helping you do a great job, but also manage your life. Why these skills are even more important now is there, as you, as your organization resets those parameters within which you can work and you have a role to play in determining what that looks like, that's even more of an opportunity for you than to be intentional about how you're fitting your work and life together within those parameters. But you have to do it. An organization can't do it for you. And that's where we're struggling is first, the boundaries have to be set within the parameters have to be set within your group or your team. But then you have to be able to on a regular basis, be intentional as you can be about making sure those things that matter to you are happening. And um, when people are given that set of skills and tools, it's really amazing to see what they're able to accomplish. Um, So that's what those, that's Mm -hmm. all about is giving people the ability to make that happen. And I will tell you that again, it's the smallest things. And here's my prediction. I call them the drop-off dads. I think the drop-off dads are going to change everything for a lot of people because I think I know before COVID the elementary school near me, never saw a data drop off, never saw a drive by. It was all moms, all that. Now, since COVID, it's all dads. And I thought it would kind of trail off. It really is pretty, pretty solidly still dads. So my thinking is, as we begin to integrate more in-person, perhaps, there are going to be dads that are going to still be intentional about how I continue to drop off in the morning. And that's a small thing, small mm-hmm. thing. It'll be the days, perhaps they're working remotely. They'll make it intentional that they're dropping off 
they come home, they log on, they start working. Not a big thing, but if you're intentional about it, really, really meaningful yeah. to you and your family. I mean, you've really hit on something that that's that was our experience during the pandemic or coming, you know, still navigating things that are going on, which was just even asking yourself the question, what do I want? What is most yeah. important to me? And I think that's, that is what people are finding. And for the people that haven't yet been able to do that, cause I know I've, I've, I've talked to a few people. I have a few clients that are still trying to navigate this right now, um, that I work with one-on-one and, what you said about the organization has a very certain role to a certain point, but then it really is up to the individual. So when I hear yeah. people saying things like, I just have too many meetings, I'm just too busy. And it's, it's, I really think people need to tap into all of your work, including your books Thanks. around that piece, because it's possible, but you have to realize that part of it is you taking accountability and responsibility for that. And it's not, the organization didn't put 12 meetings on your calendar today. Right. You, right. you accepted 12 meetings on your calendar and there's, there's some work around that. Now I, do, I do believe the organization can play a role to the point where you, you develop people, right? You let people know we're yeah. doing this and we really yeah. believe you can do this and we're going to teach you these things and we're going to help mm -hmm. develop you and, and, give you the opportunity to speak with colleagues and you should because, and when you talk about culture, people really want to change or yep. have this culture. That's, that's what you're trying to infuse into it is having people learn from one another and realize that, yeah, we can work hard and we can do great work, but we also have to have a life. And there's the, there's the intentionality. Optimally, the way this would all work out is the organization is working through the process to help teams define the parameters within which they're going to work. And that could include meetings. I mean, th that's why I'm saying lots of good stuff can come out of this process. All of a sudden teams are like, why are we meeting all the time? Like it, norms like that begin to be set organizationally. But then once that's done, and again, that's optimal that that's happening. But then once that's done, you still need to now understand what you need want to do within that structure and then make, make it happen. Now, let's say that first piece is not happening. That does not mean that you cannot yourself put some, either negotiate a plan. This is one of the big questions I'm getting right now. Like, you know, we're going back to the office and, you know, I really don't want to work that way. What do I do? Do I have to quit? And my answer always is put together a plan, propose it to your manager. They don't want to lose you. And you just have a formal plan that's different than what everybody else is doing. And that was the way it was before, okay? And you also have the capacity, even within, even if it's not particularly defined where you are, to still today be intentional about making sure those small things are happening. Mm -hmm. And you know, even if it's a yoga class, even, I mean, over the years, I've heard the craziest, smallest things mean so much to people. Like, honestly, taking a walk for a half an hour, three times a week at lunch with my best friend at work, or, you know, just riding my bike in the morning for a half an hour or having dinner with my partner at night for 20 minutes. I mean, mm -hmm. things that if you put it on your calendar, you make it happen, you will feel much, much better. Right. I, such great advice. Um, before we move off and sort of transition to this 
to this next part. Um, you talk about making the small tweaks of of getting to a place where work and and life can fit together. What what's what's one tweak everybody could make today? So it's funny if you ask me what I hear over and over again. It really has to do with moving your body. Um, you know, again, those are the small things. If you put them on your calendar, are more likely to happen. So here's the deal. Tweak it is the sum to, the culmination of years of research on my part of these people I call the work-life fit naturals who I would meet in organizations who were baffled as to why I was there. Like they could not understand <laughs> what the big deal was. And I was like, what are you doing? Like everyone else, including myself, is completely overwhelmed. But you're kind of like, this is really like brushing your teeth. I don't know why we're even having a conversation about it. So I looked, I, I said, there's got to be secrets here. Let me dive in. And it really ended up being so basic. And the one thing that they consistently do is they put even the smallest things on their calendar and their calendars are combined. Okay. They combine their work and personal calendars, which is just, when you think about right. it, it, makes sense, but they, <laughs> most people don't. Okay. So they keep it together and they put these small things on their calendar so that when it comes up, they have to make a decision. Do I do it or not do it? And sometimes they don't do it. And in fact, my other, the funny, other funny secret I learned from them is you have to celebrate success. So to me, it was like, okay, I say I'm moving half an hour at lunch, five, five days a week, and I only do it twice. That is a failure, complete fail. I'm not doing that anymore. They're like, why would you say that? That's celebrate the two times. That's awesome, right? It's just a different mindset, yeah. right? Wow. So, you know, when, to answer your question, the tweaks that I hear over and over again that really people commit to and appreciate have to do with moving mm -hmm. in some way. It and doesn't shock it doesn't me. Even, right? It's so funny. It's the thing people bring up the most. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, um, obviously, being with your family, like just small, yes. like just doing something with your kids or with your partner or something, you know, mm -hmm. that, those are the other, or your friends. Yeah. Those are the other things that mean a lot to people. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know you you talk about much more even beyond <laughs> some of that, but I thought that would be a, a good takeaway. You know, I I love this conversation. I, I think even when we first had our initial conversation, I said I could probably geek out with you for <laughs> a day or more for sure. Um, talking about all of this, I really appreciate it. And we'll give everybody an opportunity to find out where to find you and where to follow and, and, and be able to purchase your books. But before... Um, we do that. I ask my guests at the end of our discussion if they can share a life lesson that's had a great impact on them. And so I would just love to give you a moment to do that. So my life lesson has been 20 plus years in the making. And that lesson is trust yourself. Um, you know, I started this in the early 90s when I was a banker. I was a, a manager in training of a group of people, all of whom was older, were older than I was. And the type of lending that we did was very relationship based. And I didn't have kids, but I, whenever I would lose a banker, I could see that the business became vulnerable. So even in the early nineties, I was like, why don't we just let people work remotely? <laughs> like, why? And I was just such a young, naive manager. I had no idea that that was just kind of a completely crazy idea. And, but I could see it and it just made no sense to me that we would put the business at risk by not being flexible. And luckily at that time, there was this new, very emerging 
um, field that was starting. And I went back to business school, walked the halls of Columbia Business School, proudly announcing in 1993, I'm going to be a work flexibility strategist. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sort of crazy. Um, Thankfully, it all worked out. But my life lesson is trust yourself. Oh, I love that. That's a great, great advice. So I know people are going to want to um, sign up for your newsletter, find you, connect with you. Callie, how can they do that? So go to the flexstrategygroup.com and you can see the sign up for our newsletter there. And you might be interested in our new assessment that we just created, which really helps you understand how the high performance flexibility in your organization is is doing at the moment. So you get a customized report and we are very happy to hop on a 15 minute call to talk about it. So go to the site and sign up. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, that's great stuff. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and I'm so um, just so happy that you were willing to take the time to just have this oh, conversation my pleasure. with me. Thank you for inviting me. This has been great. I really appreciate it.